Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustard the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by William Gardner. William, uh, there's been some news since our last podcast, and, and we're going to break it down today. Well, you know, they say, may you live in interesting times, and it's usually a curse. So we'll see how some of this stuff plays out, but there seems to be a lot going on. Well, this is the new college football with the transfer portal, and I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. You, you're hearing that they're most likely going to pass this one-time transfer rule where you can transfer one time and not have to sit out that year. It's good and bad, I think. You know, you have a Mel Tucker that can leave in the middle of the night, leave these guys that he recruited high and dry, and yet these players are expected to stay somewhere, and if they want to go somewhere else, they got to sit out a year. At least that's the case until that one-time transfer rule possibly gets approved by the NCAA. Again, it, it sounds like it will, but it allows them, you know, that ability to redirect and change the course of their college career if, hey, the, the guy I committed to uh, is no longer there, or there's a variety of different reasons, you know, that, that could, when you're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds, there's so much that goes on in your life in that stage. But there's not enough resources for these guys, you know, out there. There's guys that enter the transfer portal thinking that they're going to get a shot at this great opportunity. And a lot of times that doesn't manifest itself out there for them. Well, I think it's, I, I like it a lot. I, I like the players that have the same freedom as the coaches do. I mean, the, the coaches, as far as I'm concerned at this point in, in the development of college, college football are nothing more than mercenaries. And I'm not sure that most of them really care about the kids, but the players are expected to have this loyalty and stick with the team that they signed with. And at the end of the day, you know, they're making a decision to 17 and 18 year olds that has a huge impact on their lives. And quite frankly, they're not old enough to make those kinds of choices accurately sometimes. And I've had lots of guys I coached who uh, wound up in situations where they, it just wasn't a good fit. Maybe, they, you know, I don't, not, not necessarily that they don't like the, the coach or whatever, but that, you know, they go in at the same time as some other guy who starts as a freshman and then they're never going to play. And I have often I mean, really, over the last 30 years, thought to myself, a lot of times you see a really, really highly rated guy make a choice and he goes to a school and he never plays there. I wonder what would have happened to that guy. Maybe he winds up in the NFL if he goes somewhere else um, and is a better fit with that system or that coaching staff or what have you. So I like the idea that guys can get to a place. They're there for a year or two. They figure out this isn't right for me. And without a penalty, they can go somewhere else. Does it change college football? Sure. Uh, you know, well, yes and no. I, you know, my tendency is to think that the, that the, that the rich are going to continue to get richer and the teams that want the players they want are going to get them. But at least on some level, I guess you take the Alabamas and the, and the Clemsons and the Ohio States of the world and even Oklahoma, a guy like Robert Barnes can go, can, can leave and go play somewhere else without just flat out being processed and told to get lost. So I think that's a good thing because let's face it, you know, you got these four and five star guys. They're, they're all showing up at places like Alabama and some of them aren't going to play there. So let's give them an opportunity to go someplace where they can play. But, you know, that being said, I don't think, I don't think a lot of, you're not going to see a lot of situations where guys leave one program and go to a program that's uh, thought of as a higher, as a step up so much. You might see that some where a guy excels, at a at an SMU or something and gets a shot like a Michael Michael Onu, for example, would be a good. So you'll see some of that, but I think it's a good thing overall, and we'll adapt to it, and that's the way it is. It's certainly a good thing for a guy like Tyler Lytle that had been buried on the depth chart at, at Colorado 
has a really good arm and has a lot of ability, might even have had a chance to be a pretty successful quarterback at CU, just never got that opportunity. He goes to UMass, and I expect him to play really well out there, and he can he's uh, you know going to join their program as a graduate, so he'll get to work on his graduate degree. For guys like him, th- this is a really good situation. Yeah, I think that's really great, and I think that you know a lot of the guys that it, in our program get a sh- are getting a shot at some good places. You know, I think Darian Rakestraw at Tulane is a good fit. So Tyler Lytle at UMass gets to go in there and play some ball and get a good education at a really good at a really good university. And you know, it's hard to imagine a more different. Well, I guess if you went from somewhere in deep south up to Boston, but you know, there, it, it's fairly different from Boulder uh, to to. Massachusetts in terms of culture and climate and what have you. So I'm excited for him. I think that's a good, good landing spot for him. You know, and then you got Katie Nixon, the USC. Hey, God bless him. I, I you know, I, I don't really, I, I'm surprised by mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm surprised that USC would take him given what they already have. And I'm not trying to make that a knock on him. I'm just looking at the talent that they always have a wide receiver but hey, great for him. That's a great opportunity, I guess. I think that's if that's what he wants, then good for him. So I, I think it's working out really great for some of these guys. You know, Mike Chandler, the second to Lamar, that's where he belongs. You know, I think it was fun for him to come up here and take a shot, but go someplace where you can play college, play quarterback and, and have fun. So I, I'm enjoying it so far. We're not quite sure yet where Akil Jones and Jaron Mangum are going to land. I don't think either of them have announced where they're going yet as of the taping of this podcast. The seniors in 2020 could come back this year and and not count towards that 85 cap. But I've been told CU has to, on average, fundraise $100,000 for a scholarship for a student athlete. And that's not just the education, that's, you know, cost of attendance, that's food, that's travel that's you know the the gear that they get are you okay that that a, a few of these seniors that could have come back to play for CU and Akil Jones for example was told hey you got to find a different destination because we're moving in a different direction I don't I don't know if that's the case with any of these guys or with, with think... Akil Jones it was and, and I believe it was with Darian Rakestraw and Katie Nixon as well yeah, and I, I think I think that those are guys. I, I, Akil Jones that surprises me because I think he's I, I think he's at a position where my goodness I believe we need him because uh, that inside linebacker room looks like a mess to me right now. I think we'll talk about that a little more in a, in a little bit here. But uh, he's a guy I would like to have back. Darian Rakestraw, I think we got better players at that at his position. Katie Nixon, you know, I I don't think that he's going to be one of our top four receivers. So no, I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that it's always best to be honest with kids. I don't know what the conversations were. I'm not in the room, obviously, with with uh, Carl Durrell and, and those kids. But I would always be honest with a kid and say, look, here's your chances of playing next year. And they're not very good. And, and you know what, if it comes down to part of it is that uh, uh, we can't afford to keep you around if you're not going to uh, produce. Well, you know what, that's the adult world. That's the adult world, and you're getting to be adults, and it's time that you dealt with it. It's like if you're not going to play, if you're going to try and play in the NFL, that's the hard bottom line in the NFL. If you don't produce, you're not getting paid, and it's pretty much the same in most careers, most jobs. If you're not going to be able to to help the employer, they're not going to keep you around and foot the bill for you. And these are guys that have graduated, so it's not like they're 
being kicked out the door and said, Hey, you're not going to leave here with, with that paper in your hand. Uh, that, you know, so that, that is part of it for sure. You mentioned Robert Barnes transferring in from Oklahoma earlier. That That's the best news that CU's program's gotten since the Alamo bowl, or <laughs> I guess you could say before that, right. Uh, probably yeah. since uh, their fourth win of the season, uh, when Colorado gets a transfer in, like I did this when JT Shrout announced he was transferring in from Tennessee, is I'll reach out to the guy from the 24-7 Sports Network that covered that player because you're going to get a, a more insight look into that, that player and the situation that they had at that school than you will by just reading their stats. And with Robert Barnes, I was I was really taken aback talking to our Oklahoma publisher, uh, Brandon Drum, not uh, the, the former CU fullback, but yeah, he great. said that Robert Barnes is a heck of a player. He was just buried behind blue chip talent, guys that were studs. And if you're going to take a guy that's buried on a depth chart, you want to take him from a program like Oklahoma, no question. Right. You know, I, you know, I've seen people on the board talk about, well, you know, if you can't play there, why do we want him? Are you, are you kidding me? There's nobody on our team, maybe outside of Nate Lamman and, and Carson Wells, who could have started for Oklahoma last year. And they were the big 12 champions and blew out Florida in a, in a bowl game. They're loaded with talent. So he's another example of those, you know, in his case, five-star guy who got there and there's a bunch of other five-star guys. He, he's, he's sitting behind an NFL draft pick. When he comes to see you, he's going to right off the bat, in my view, be one of the best players on the team. And we'll see where he fits in as a player um, but he, he plays two positions of great need for us, linebacker and, and safety. So I think he gives us a, a real flexibility in terms of things that he can do and, and bring to this team. The other thing that, that people need to take into account is he has played on a championship level team and he knows what it takes. He has been in a weight room where they push you to excel and they, and they really know how to make you work hard and there's something to be said for that to come to a team like CU and bring that kind of mentality from a place like Oklahoma where where you you get better or you sit on the bench and and that sort of mentality is is great to bring into the locker room and everything I've heard says to me that he's going to be a super addition in the locker room as well, that he's yeah. a good guy, that he's going to push people to work harder. You don't want to bring in a guy that's like, well, I'm so much better than you. Hey, I was at Oklahoma. You guys suck. That That's not a guy you want to bring in. You want to bring in a guy that lifts everybody else up and, and, and makes them all play better. So I'm very excited by Barnes. I'm very excited by JT Shrout. You know, those are two guys at positions that we really needed somebody who are quality, quality players from big time programs. Um, you know, people can talk about Tennessee is not what Tennessee was 10, 15 years ago, but Hey, it's still a sec program um, that plays against the best. And this kid, you know, according to what the people from Tennessee are saying, they're pretty excited about him too. So I I'm, I'm thrilled with both of these guys um, in terms of our use of the transfer portal, bringing guys in. I think they're a great fit like to see us maybe bring in another pure safety or, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, there definitely is, is still some need, I think from that transfer portal, you want to keep that, that fishing pole active in there. Right. Um, right. My, my favorite line that Gary Barnett has is he says, you recruit your problems. And right. I think Mel, a lot of what Mel Tucker did in his 14 months in Colorado was awesome. But I do wonder how much that would have caught up to him the way that they were recruiting. And Carl Durrell said, 
we're not going to recruit the same way in terms of they are going to spend more time looking towards the intangibles and how hard these kids work, what their character is versus just taking a guy because of the stars by his name. Obviously, Robert Barnes, as you mentioned, was a five star on 24 seven sports. Excellent character. We know the other five star that transferred in the program and he's had health issues. I don't want to pick on him in that sense, but he's had his, he's had issues beyond the health issues that I don't know if he would have played it down as a result of that. There's guys like Jaron Mangum, just horrible body language during his time in Boulder. I do. Again, I think that Mel Tucker did a lot of good things and I liked some of the the moxie he brought to the recruiting situation at CU, but it's clear that Carl Durrell is going to go about it in a much different way. Well, Jason Harris, I guess, is another one. Didn't really apparently have the work ethic to to Correct. follow yeah. up on uh, everything he showed in high school. So again, you know, we were talking about that earlier. I, I think that's one of the hardest things for coaches to determine is whether the kids got the the it, it, the real toughness to put in that work. You know, it, a guy like Nate Lamon made himself. He built himself by his hard work in, in the off season, year after year, and that's what it takes. So. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very excited by pretty much everything I've seen from Carl Durrell at this point, you know, I mean, Lord knows what, where we'll wind up with all the coaching, uh, changes and stuff, but I got to tell you, I'm very excited by the fact after the last four or five coaches, I'm very excited to see a coach who will blow things up after his first season, which was a good season, a four and two season. He's going to say, we're not good enough. And some of you aren't getting the job done. Get out because we've had some coaches, you know, Embry had all of his buddies. McIntyre had all of his buddies and nobody was getting rid of anybody. So it's very nice to see a head coach after one season say, you're not getting it done the way I want to get it done. Now remains to be seen whether Carl Durrell's vision and how he wants things done will work, but it's nice to see somebody who coming off of a four and two season really doesn't like the way it ended up really doesn't like how those last two games turned out and really wants to do it better. We talked about Will Sherman declaring for the NFL draft on our last last podcast. Since that taping, Mustafa Johnson has joined him in declaring for the NFL draft. This doesn't surprise me. I understand that Mustafa Johnson doesn't have the height that NFL scouts are looking for, but you, you only have so many years to play this game. And he had put a lot into the, into the CU program. I have no problem with Mustafa Johnson. And I I think a team should take a chance on him late in the draft, especially considering that he's got those long arms, big hands that can kind of offset some of the, you know, the, the lack of height that he has. I, yeah, I I don't have any problem with either one of their moves. I mean, I understand, you know, for most kids, the dream is to play in the NFL. So if you want to chase that dream and you've earned it, go for it by all means. Um, I think there's really big question marks next to both Mustafa and Will Sherman. And I think they're going to, I think it's, uh, I'm very interested to see what happens at pro day in terms of measurements and how tall they are and how long, you know, we all hear the, the great length, but let's see what the actual measurements tell you because the NFL is a uh, measurements league. You know, you got to meet the measurements of the tape and whatever. And really that's what the combine's always been about is the beauty pageant and make sure that you uh, fit all of their um, things that they're looking for. I think Mustafa in his case, I think he's never been quite the same player since that knee injury. Um, You know, as a sophomore, I think it was very realistic to kind of whisper quietly and say, Hey, is this guy the next Aaron Donald? Because he was so explosive and so unblockable. Um, And then, hasn't quite been that guy 
the last two seasons. I think he started to be that that last year, and then he got that knee injury on a cheap shot and never quite came back. And then this year, everybody was double teaming him and such. Yeah, how much of that is just the fact that maybe his first year coming in as a JUCO transfer, it took a while for teams to respect him versus this past year. Again, you mentioned that he was getting double team most of the time. Uh, it, it's hard in a three-down scheme getting double yeah. teamed to, to make a lot of plays. But I also think, you know, the guys that are going to stand out at the next level are guys that beat double teams at this level. Um, and, okay. you know, they're just – I mean, what, what, you're, what they're looking for for defensive linemen – in the NFL level is just so ridiculous in terms of the size and the ability and the ability to move and the length. And, and um, I, I don't think people really fully understand exactly what kind of a, what, what, what degree of an animal these defensive linemen are in the NFL, that they're huge and they're super mobile, mobile. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking, um, oh boy, I'm blanking on the name. Great big guy played the nose for somebody uh, um, out of the South and, and it was like 350 pounds and could move like a deer. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And so I think a lot of teams are going to be, you know, I've, I've heard, we'll see what, what Mustafa measures out at. I've, I've heard good rumors that he's maybe less than six feet. We'll see. I don't know. So um, I think the NFL wants to see guys like him and, and Will Sherman really dominate. And I don't really feel like either one of them did this past year. So we'll see. I, I wish them well. and I, I'd love to see them both get drafted, but we'll see what happens with them. I think they both have a place in the league, but I'm not 100% sure that either one's going to get picked this year. Well, I will say if I know you like Arlington Hambright a little bit more than Will Sherman, but I don't I think he's going to be viewed pretty similar by the NFL scouts. I, I think both these guys get picked late. Yeah, I think it comes down to the measurements. I think Arlington Hambright ended up being a little bit bigger than people expected, and so that's probably why somebody took a shot at him at the, late in the game. But uh, you know, if if Will Sherman isn't if he comes in under six four, I don't know. We'll see. Kari Cush is returning. He's one of three scholarship seniors that are going to be on this roster in twenty twenty one. So that gives the bus four of their starters up front from the twenty twenty season. Kari Kush, he he took on a tough task of trying to learn center in a week. You know, I feel like when he's at his natural spot of left guard, he he's pretty consistent. What, what do you feel about him returning? I love the fact that he's coming back. I think that uh, that gives him a chance to really keep developing. You know, one one of the things that that people may not understand is that the average the average guy really does not hit his athletic peak until like 26, 27. It's the late twenties when guys really hit the top end of their athletic athletic ability in terms of growth and testosterone production and what have you. So these guys coming back to us are old guys, but in terms of reality in the NFL, they're young guys. And so each year that they come back is another opportunity to grow, be stronger, understand the game better. I think it's going to help Kari Kutch a great deal that he played those two positions. You learn a lot from those kind of reps. Um, so I'm very excited about him coming back. I think he'll continue. I think he's improved each of the last couple of years. And I think he'll do that again this year. I think I expect him, you know, it's a big question mark about who our strength coach is, but I assume we're going to continue in the same vein. And I expect to see him around 315, 320 and, and really moving people off the line. And we were moving people off the line this year. I would argue that we have six starters coming back because Cannon Ray and Chan and, and Tyler and Chance Lytle, gotta get the right Lytle, Chance Lytle both started a couple games. 
and both played pretty darn well. In fact, uh, uh, Cannon Ray was one of the higher um, uh, graded guys by Coach Rod. So I think we got six guys coming back, frankly, in my view, who are potentially starters and then a lot of really exciting looking young guys. So I'm very excited about that offensive line. If Cannon Ray proves to be one of your top five offensive linemen, could you see him play maybe at right tackle or, or would you rather have a guy with a little bit more length, assuming that Frank Phillip, you know, moves over to left tackle? Yeah, right tackle I'm not so concerned about because it's not such a big deal in terms of the pass protection. Um, if Cannon Ray is one of the top five, we've got to find a way to get him in there. Now, maybe you take one of the taller guys, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe um, – Maybe uh, Kari Kush can play out there at right tackle. And, but I think that's where Rod's got to, you know, we got to get a spring ball this year where we can do a little experimentation and see who can play where. But Cannon Ray has practiced a lot over the first three years at right tackle, so it wouldn't be something that's new to him at all. And he plays, you know, everybody's like, oh, I'd like to see him with 20 more pounds. He's going to keep getting bigger and growing. Um, but he plays with the level of aggression and meanness that I just love. And it's just fun to watch. And his technique, he's very solid technician as well. Walk-on tight end Matt Lynch announced that he's going to be returning as well. Uh, there, there's quite a bit of competition that's going to take place at that tight end position behind Brady Russell. Matt Lynch also helps you on special teams. You know, he was serving as a holder on special teams. So not a huge, not huge news, but it's a guy, especially as a walk-on with his experience. And it's, he sounds like a good locker room guy that, that you're, you're going to welcome back with open arms. Well, I'm excited about him coming back too, you know, for the same reason I was talking about that these guys are still developing young men and, and he should be better. I mean, I think it's the first, I don't know how long, if he played tight end his last year at UCLA, but he's just, relative, one, just one year at UCLA. Right? Yeah. We're relatively new to the position. And, and I think people forget we only played six games. We played half a season, right? So it's the second half of the season most years when you really start want to expect to see and start to see improvement from guys who are new at a position. Right. So he got the six games under his belt and then he didn't get the next six. We played half a season. So uh, I'd like to see him get a spring ball, really start to learn the techniques, you know, get on the jugs machine and catch a lot of footballs and see if he can't really uh, bring us more in terms of the, re the reception part. I think he was very solid blocker, did a really good job in the blocking part of tight end. But let's bring more bodies back and let's get more competition. Maybe as an older guy, he can help some of those young guys develop and, and make them more ready to play, too. I think our offense really needs um, a couple or three tight ends who are threats in the passing game. And he's certainly got the athleticism to do that. He's got to be more consistent with his with his hands and with catching. So I, I'm excited to see him come back. I mean, there's no loss to it. I mean, there, there's no downside to it. So let's do it periodically throughout the year, I update our football eligibility chart and it kind of breaks down the team position by position, class by class, and it kind of gives you a view of the team. This was the strangest update postseason I've ever done to the list because you're not moving guys along in terms of eligibility. You have Christian Gonzalez who started six games as a true freshman, and yet he's still a true freshman with his red shirt intact. So it was a bizarre update to it. Like I mentioned, there's only going to be three scholarship seniors on the team in 2021, and those guys don't count towards that 85 cap. Uh, not counting the seniors, you've got 91 scholarship commitments right now looking ahead. Just what were your overall thoughts when you looked at that updated football eligibility chart? 
Well, I thought that there's a lot of a lot of good young players at a lot of different positions. I thought we started to look we're, we're starting to look like a real uh, power five team in terms of depth, in terms of having guys that can come in and play. Um, I'm still super concerned about that inside linebacker spot. Uh, you know, a lot depends on on what kind of condition Nate Lamon is in at the start of the season. But you know, I I don't think. John Van Deest and Quinn Perry showed me enough to to make me feel comfortable about that. So we want to see Marvin Ham and Mr. Williams come along. So not a lot, not a lot of guys in that block that really excite me. The safety spot is looks a little question mark as well, too, although there's there's certainly more players there. Um but overall, I thought I really and appreciate what I'm seeing in here. One thing that jumped out at me is that there's some guys at wide receiver that got to get on the field, even if it's not a wide receiver, like a Montana, Lamonius Craig and a Keith Miller and guys like that may not end up beating out some of the guys that are ahead of them, but I'd like to see them find a spot where they can play. Um, so there's a lot of things that look really good to me that that quarterback, uh, the bottom half of, of the of the chart. The sophomore freshman and uh, commit looks a lot better with Shrout and Drew Carter in there, and that's starting to look like a uh, pipeline. So I, I like what I see there, and there are still areas of concern, really. I'm glad to see a shot Clayton back. Um, but there are a lot of good things to look at here that, that really excite me. Defensive line's in, in an interesting position because there's a lot of bodies there. Right. But outside of Terrence Lang and those nose tackles, Right, they're going to need some guys to step up there because Mustafa Johnson leaves some pretty big shoes to fill there. Well, I was looking at that too, and I was thinking the same thing that I'm. I'm. I'm, I think defensive line is a question mark to me as well at this point. That's why I think that uh, Ike um, could be a guy that could play early, given the 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 skills and the talents that he brings to the game. Naeem Rodman would be the first guy I would look at to fill that spot. He's kind of built a little bit like. Mustafa, but bigger. So he would be the guy I expect hope to, to step up. And then, you know, the two juniors, well, they would have been seniors now, except they're not. Jeremiah Dawson, Justin Jackson would like to see both of those guys step up to another, another level. And then you got to wonder what's going to happen with Lloyd Murray and Austin Williams. Um, and those guys, can they, can they play a position other than, than nose tackle? I think Lloyd Murray is more likely to be able to do that. And then um, the incoming freshmen are question marks. Tyus Martin, because of his back, I love what he brings, but we'll see. And then Baugh and Williams are both a little bit lower recruited, and and we'll see what they bring to the table. But that defensive line is a little bit less exciting to me without Mustafa in there, to be honest. Yeah, I'm really kind of concerned about that third spot. Tight end is a little interesting too. You've got seven scholarship players at that position, and that doesn't include a couple of walk-ons that actually saw quite a bit of action. And you can tell me, but I thought performed pretty well as blockers in Nico Magri and CJ Shemansky. You've got a guy like Poplowski that that is coming back from another injury. Luke Stillwell, who we just haven't heard a whole lot about. He's a converted quarterback. You got those freshmen, Passarello. And Caleb Fourier, who I know you're high on, you're bringing in Eric Olson, who's already on campus. I should say you're not bringing him in; he's already there, getting acclimated. And Alec Pell is still there, 
I don't know. Maybe you move him back to linebacker. I feel like the need is, yeah. is greater there. I feel like you got to move Alec Pell back to inside linebacker and let him. I mean, I hate to bounce a kid back and forth, but my God, we need help at inside linebacker yesterday. And like you said, we got a lot of bodies at, at tight end. I think Luke Stillwell's a guy who desperately needed spring ball to move. You know, I think he didn't he come from quarterback to move yeah. to tight end. Yeah, so he desperately needs a, a spring ball to really get his mind around how to play that position. Jared Poplowski, God love him, man. If he, if, you know, really was high on this kid, but he just had the worst luck in the world as far as injuries. So um, it's interesting to see Nick Fisher still on there. He didn't end up really doing much this year, but I was very impressed with the blocking from uh, Nico Magri and CJ Schmansky. So at least from that perspective, in terms of um, helping out on the goal line and what have you and, and short yardage, those guys can come in and do that. And we'll see if either one of them ever develops into much of a, a pass receiving threat. Um, and then Fourier and, and Olsen were both super highly rated. And we'll see if they, uh, you know, Fourier was held back by the injury. And we'll see what they do if we get a spring ball this year. And then Passarello, I don't know, you know, somebody saw something in him. And we'll see what happens. There's a lot of bodies. But so far in the last couple of years, nobody stepped up to be anywhere near the Brady Russell level. And I don't think anybody can deny that our offense lost a lot when we lost Brady Russell and nobody stepped into that spot. Right now, Robert Barnes is most likely going to factor in at linebacker for CU. If that continues to be the case, you look at the pipeline and there, there's some guys you're, you're excited about their potential, but again, numbers wise, it's safety. If they don't bring in a transfer there, you got to be really concerned about that group. And just in terms of the depth, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if K.J. Trujillo is really a safety or not. I mean, I'd like to see him put on some weight. I think I, I, I love what Isaiah Lewis did, so I'm very comfortable with him. And then you got Mark Perry was a big disappointment this year. Um, Chris Miller seems a little undersized for that spot as well. So there's some names that you like there a lot. Torin Pittman is a guy who we had very super high hopes for in recruiting, and people talked very well about him, and he's got that big NFL-sized body but remains to be seen if he'll turn into a player. And then, you know, the wild card in the group is Trustin Oliver, who I, you know, I, is the, is the kid, is he, is he 28 years old now? Seems like he's kind of been around forever and it kind of blew me away to see him there in the freshman column. Um, after he's, got, all he's got four years of eligibility left because yeah, eligibility it, it, didn't count against him. Isn't that crazy? It's, you know, yeah. he's, he's linebacker sized. Mm-hmm. So if he really run, he could really be a thumper and, and be the wild card that changes everything back there. So I'd be very excited to see him in spring ball. And hopefully he picks things up really quickly and be, you know, trust and Oliver and Torrent Pittman are both big dudes who bring a different whole different aspect of the game than everybody else that was playing uh, back there for us this year. So, you know, hopefully uh, they step up, you know, our secondary coach is going to have some work cut out for them to, to make that safety position work. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'd be very interested to see where Robert Barnes winds up. Does he cut weight and play in the backfield or does he wind up up at linebacker? We'll see. So I, I don't know. Lots of question marks is really, I think it hurt us a lot to not have a spring ball. I think it hurt a lot of these kids not to have a spring ball. Taylor Embry to the New York Jets. A little bit surprising just because he is so young. Uh, but, you know, he got that opportunity. We might not see Taylor again if he has a lot of success in the NFL, just in terms of him coming back to the college level. We'll see. 
Yeah, and I think he showed a lot to me this year as tight ends coach, both in terms of bringing in bodies that we needed for that position and developing those kids and kind of getting guys at least, you know, on a blocking level able to play who nobody else would have nobody would have expected to have them play. But you cannot you, you can't blame a guy for passing up a shot at the NFL and you know the tight end spot is is more or less like your entry level position. So getting the chance to he'd been doing some of that. Um uh, he was he was with his father at Kansas City, right? I think um, he well, he was at Kansas City initially, and then he went to San Francisco 49ers, where his father yeah. is. Yeah, so uh, you know now now he's gets to go in his own right uh, as as Taylor Embry and not as John Embry's kid. Yeah, yeah, right. So he's developing his resume, and and I think he's got a super bright future in coaching. I I think the world's ahead of this kid, and I think he'll be a, a head coach at some level. Uh, 10, 15 years down the road. So I can't blame him at all. And I'm very, you know, I, I, I feel very good about um, Carl Durrell and his hiring. I, you know, I'm in no rush to fill these spots except for the strength coach. Strength coach needs to be filled yesterday. But the rest of them, let's get the right guy in. Let's get the right guy because it makes a huge difference. And, and I'm very encouraged by what Carl Durrell did on his initial staff. And I think he'll do the same following up. It's the, the time of year where news could break anytime. So hopefully this isn't out of date by, by the time listened to it. But if Chris Wilson is elevated to defensive coordinator, how, how would you feel about that? I'd be very happy. I'm very, very, conf- very uh, okay. I'm trying to think of the right words. I want to don't want to say like I'm running through the streets. And say, Woo-hoo, best thing that ever happened to see you football. But I'm very comfortable with that outcome. I think that Chris Wilson has been a defensive coordinator at a high level in the, in the SEC. He knows what he's dealing with and what he's doing. Um, you know, be perfectly honest. If, if, if he had been the best defensive coordinator in the history of the world, we wouldn't have him on our staff. So there is some room there. People say, well, what did he do his first time around? But I think that he's learned a lot and, and, and he's going to keep people on board in terms of players. Um, and so I, I would like, I, I like that trade. I, I, you know, I think Tyson Summers gets a lot of heat um, from a lot of people. And I think a lot of it's not quite fair, but I think Chris Wilson's an upgrade. Okay. We'll find out. Uh, Drew Wilson, he got an assistant strength coach job at Kansas state. Good to hear that. He landed on his feet. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get a chance to lead a, power five program again i felt like again i felt like he did a pretty solid job at cu i understand carl Durrell got hired late february felt like he had to keep continuity in the program and he wants to bring in his own guys but uh, at least from what i have witnessed with drew wilson at cu from 2016 through the 2020 season i feel like he's a very capable guy in that role i think he's done a great job and i think he in many respects, as the guy who held this team together, both during the coaching search last year and then, you know, through the through the COVID and, and along with Carl Durrell and what have you. And I think he did a super job in terms of our strength and conditioning. We certainly got bigger and stronger, and I think it was obviously noticeable the last two years. Uh, I, I think he's an excellent strength and conditioning coach. Now, we don't know what happened, but it'll come out someday. Everything always comes out someday. I'll be very interested to hear uh, exactly what that is and what the reasons were. But um, hopefully we get somebody in and announced who's who's well, hopefully better. Obviously, you always want to improve, but we need somebody that that uh, is can work with kids and, and inspire them and, and 
knows the lift, lifting for power five football and get that done. Cause that's the most, you know, that strength coach was really the only guy that could hold the team together during that crisis with uh, COVID and everything last year. Cause that was unprecedented. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see who we hire because it's, it's possibly, I think it's arguably the most important coach on the entire staff, even more so than the coordinators. More than the coordinators. Well, there's two, there, there's different things that you're, so the, so the strength coach spends more time with each individual player than any other coach on the staff in terms of all year long. And so there's a lot that goes into that in terms of developing the personality of the team and the work ethic of the team and the toughness of the team and things like that. Obviously the coordinators are super important um, on game day in terms of uh, having the team in the right position to make plays. So I don't know, you know, there's always an argument that could be made one way or the other. All three of those positions are super, super important. Um, but I think if you, I don't know, I, I, I think if you've got a really good strength conditioning program, you can make up for some shortcomings in your coordinators, maybe. William, you're going to hate talking about this because I know it's like pulling teeth for you to say anything nice about Mel Tucker. <laughs> but I wanted to, to just broach the topic of Mel Tucker versus Carl Durrell and just their approach of things. We know that Mel Tucker was very good with getting his message out there and promoting his program. You can try to erase it from your memory, but they went five and seven, but because he recruited at such a high level with that class of 2020, you know, folks were borderline wanting to, to throw a parade for the guy. I mean, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance around the program at that point. And, uh, you know, I understand wins are more important than anything, but you look at Carl Drell, much different approach. Uh, he is not going to try to sell his program. He's going to do his media obligations and he's going to be forthright and, and very respectful with media during those opportunities. But he's almost coaching from a bunker at this point. You alluded to this earlier. You don't care how long he takes to hire coaches. Just what are your thoughts on just in terms of the way that Carl Durrell has been selling the program and maybe the lack of buzz? Because I want to say during that early signing period, you know, there's a lot more excitement generally than there was this time around. I think there's a lot of things that are different in his first year that were different from Tucker's first year that are very relevant. The fact that he was hired so late, uh, the fact that we had a worldwide pandemic that shut down the whole country, obviously played a big part. The fact that we didn't play a full season and yet he came in against all expectations and had a winning season and went to a bowl game. And a lot of people are not giving him credit for that. You know, there's some things that Tucker did that, that he did well, but at the end of the day, to me, he's a politician and politicians sell themselves. That's what they do. If you're a good politician, you're really good on the social media and all that sort of stuff doesn't necessarily make you effective at what you do or good at what you do. And I think the jury's still out on Mel Tucker. He hasn't had a winning season at the P5 level yet. And he surely should have. He surely should have had a winning season in Colorado. He absolutely surely should have. And he lost a couple of those games on the field through coaching, in my view. Um, so I don't know, you know, but on the other, on the other side of the coin, I don't like secrecy in football. I've never felt that uh, you need secrecy to succeed. I've never felt that it does you any good. It's like, you know, be, uh, maybe if you're, if you're Bill McCartney, and you're switching your offense from the passing game to the wishbone. 
that's something you like to keep a little secret. But aside from that, everybody knows what you do. Everybody has film of every game. Everybody knows what's going to happen pretty much on Saturdays, whatever. So all this secrecy to me is, uh, has always been sort of, um, emblematic of, of the shortcomings of head coaches or their fears of whatever. I don't know. They, they don't want to look bad. So they keep things under wraps. And there's um, no question. I'm sorry to cut you off, but there's no question. There's certain stuff you need to keep under wraps. That's not what I'm suggesting. Sure. It's not like right. you're going to put everything out there, but I, I think that when you're doing things the right way, shining a light on some of that stuff, can create excitement that otherwise would be that that kind of is missing yeah. right now. Yeah, and I, I think marketing is important, and it always has been in terms of building up excitement. You know, if the fans are excited, that gets out there to recruits, and the recruits are more excited. So yeah, there's there's certainly a place for marketing. But I've always said, I mean, I, you know, I think I've said this on the board for the last 10, 15 years. You win games, you can do whatever you want. You can run the darn show any way you want if you're consistently going to ball games um and at the end of the day winning on the field is what it comes down to that's what you're paid to do so win games i know it makes your job a lot harder and it certainly makes it tougher for us on the board to uh, do anything more than bicker about stuff that we don't know anything about so i would like to see more openness out of the cu program and maybe when carl durell is I, i don't know i don't know him personally so i don't know if that's part of his personality or is that just part of the circumstances that well his his father's a naval officer and i think there's a little bit of that approach of you know keeping things under wraps and yeah there's loose, there's no question loose, loose lips sink ships you know i had a top secret clearance in the navy and you kept your yap shut you didn't talk about stuff so i get that that makes sense that that sort of changes the whole perspective frankly for me yeah i just i think that when you coach from a bunker what happens unfortunately is there's a lot of speculation and that part of it, it isn't good right right yeah and you know a lot of the, most of the speculation is wrong exactly some of it's actually quite frankly harmful in some mm-hmm. some some respects and so when you when you stretch out coaching searches like this then you get uh, you you get narratives that aren't necessarily true like like things fell through or it's not working out well or what have you where maybe you're just being very careful and make sure you get the right person who knows. So, yeah, I, I think there, I would like to see somewhere or maybe I, I don't like this, the pat me on the back. I'm great self-promotion stuff that we saw so much of from Tucker, but I don't like this closed lip. We're not telling you anything. So maybe something in the middle. Yeah. Would be nice. And coaching, coaching searches are definitely delicate. You can lose out on a candidate. Like you said, loose lips, sink ships. I, I guess I'm more talking about the recruiting side of things and you yeah, know, building and, excitement and, on that side. And everything else going on inside the building, what have you. I mean, there's nothing wrong, to, in my view, in promoting positive things that happen to build up the excitement. After, at the end of the day, you got to sell tickets. And yeah. you can't sell tickets to people that aren't excited. And remember, Drew Wilson used to put out that leaderboard just in terms of guys that were showing – the best speed and putting up the, the biggest weights in the weight room, little stuff like that, you know, generates a lot of discussion among the fan base, especially the diehards, obviously. Yeah, for sure. People that are paying attention because everybody's looking, you know, we're all looking for that little nugget that says, Hey, this is, this is the year we turn a corner and really do something different. We have hopefully a video coming your way on February 3rd, the reg- first day of the regular signing period, breaking down. Aichukwu, Iwuna, hopefully I didn't butcher his name, uh, he has replaced Victory Vaca on the commitment list, but we're recording this on Monday, midday, 
And uh, this morning, Ike uh, reported an offer from Michigan. So that'll be interesting to watch here the next week or so. Yeah, I mean, and it's clearly a plan B situation. I mean, I mean, ob- obviously, they've been watching the kid um, mm-hmm. and know something about him to be able to make that offer. But clearly, they had uh, other guys that they wanted to take who went somewhere else. And it's a plan B for them. But uh, he's not a plan B for us. I think he's an outstanding prospect. I'm very excited. I'm never going to call him anything but Ike. Uh, I like Ike, like they used to say in the 50s, um, but I'm super excited. Uh, you know, he replaces Victory Vaca on the commitment list, and I think that's a significant upgrade on the defensive line. Um, I think Vaca was very clearly and only a nose tackle. Uh, not even clear we're going to have a nose tackle moving forward. Who knows with the new defensive coordinator, but Ike can play all four spots on a four-man front and is uh, very much more versatile. So I'm excited about him. I, I think, you know, he, 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 he had a Texas offer for a long time and waited too long and they filled up. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that he's not good enough to play there. It just means once they got enough guys, they're, they're going to move on. You know, there, 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 there are a handful of guys out there that you hold a spot for. I'm not sure he's that guy at Texas, but um, it's exciting to see that kind of offer list and to see us win out and, and bring this kid home. I'm not too worried about the Michigan offer because I, I don't notice that he's ever mentioned them as like a dream school or whatever. And, and you would think a kid from Texas, that Texas would be the dream school and he didn't jump on that. And that's a pretty good education too. Like I mentioned, the regular signing period coming up on February 3rd, a week from Wednesday, TJ Patu, we actually shot a video for him before the early signing period. He decided to wait until the regular signing period. So, uh, I need to rewatch that, but I think we can we can run that the way it was shot. And I, I was disappointed we couldn't release that sooner because we were both pretty excited about his potential. Yeah, I was super excited about his film, and I, I remember kind of bouncing up and down a little bit about uh, how excited I am about him. I, I like him as an outside linebacker. I think they're talking about him as an inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. He kind of does a little bit of everything to me in that video. And he's a guy who hits you like a Volkswagen at full speed, you know, and a Volkswagen may not be the biggest car in the world, but you get hit by one at full speed, you're going to feel it. And that guy lays the wood to people. So, you know, but then let's not forget my favorite position, punter. Hopefully signing a punter. We'll see Ashton Logan. He might gray shirt. If he does that, then he won't be signing. But uh, yeah, break down his, his game for us. Well, you know, you know, (laughs) You, you make fun of me about kickers, but I like punters better than kickers because, you know, a punter can change a game in terms of being able to change the field upon one long kick and what have you. So uh, when that kicker, when that kicker kicks the football between the, those uprights, that, that doesn't impact the game. You know, one point, three points, whatever, but you know, uh, uh it momentum of a game. Uh, I think it's a lot of people have said over the years that the, you take football and it's about field position, right? And if you get pinned deep in your end, deep in your end, and you got a guy who can kick at 60 yards and all of a sudden they're pinned in their end, that's a lot better place to me. I think those kinds of things change games a lot more than a field goal or an extra point, you know, now let's face it. Field, well, game, I can tell you when, when kickers miss field goals and extra point, it has a huge impact in terms of the momentum. I've, I don't want to even bring up his name, but let's say, let's just say CU had a kicker that was struggling there for a while and it was really pissing off the players on the team. There was at one point Tyler Hansen says, if he misses another one, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I've I've seen that you know I, I've seen that more than one time at CU. It's kind of like for a while we had really good kickers, and then other times not so much. So we've 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 certainly seen that. So they're both important parts of the team, um, no question about it. And if you got to got you know if you miss three field goals in a game, you probably you're you're going to be in trouble for most for the most part. But uh, a a really really good punter is really almost a part of your defense in a sense of you know, pinning on an offense back and giving your defense a much better situation than somebody who's shanking 30 yarders all the time. I mentioned Ashton Logan, their punter commit, Mike Grayshirt, and that would be because Josh Watts, who transferred in last year and it got better as the season went along, has a year of eligibility left. And again, right now they're sitting at, I count 91 scholarship commits. That doesn't count the three scholarship seniors that, again, won't count towards that 85 cap. You'll get down to 85. You shouldn't be worried about that if you're a CU fan. There's just going to be attrition. You can look up and down that eligibility chart. You can see a few guys that will probably graduate this spring and probably move on just because they haven't had an impact at CU. So they'll get down to 85. Yeah, and I don't like to name names in this sort of situation, but there are guys on this roster who can't play at this level. It is not a long list, but there's a handful of guys. Right. And you only you don't need a long list. You just need a handful to get down to the numbers where you need to be. Yeah. CU student athletes posted a record cumulative GPA of three point one two eight during the fall semester. I get that uh, because of the pandemic, there was less distraction. So that probably helped there. But I, I found it was interesting. I posted, you know, a story to this situation of in terms of them posting a, a record GPA. And there were people that were just really negative about it. I'm like, man, we really in 2020 slash 21 can find anything to complain about. Yeah, they're, they're talking about, oh, yeah, well, it was all online. It doesn't matter. It's like, geez, right. you just freaking be happy about right. one thing. Somebody else said, well, it just goes to show, man, that's all we can report at CU is our GPA. Oh, my goodness, man. Come on, fellas. Jeez. Can we, you know what? Everything does. Everything's not sucks. It's, it's some things are good. It's good. It's a positive thing, okay? And you know, uh, t- to some extent, it's helpful for recruiting because most parents want their kids to go to a place where the education is going to be taken seriously. So that's a positive thing. Yeah, it, it just kind of blows me away. It's like we got we we, we had a four and two season. It's a good thing. Come on, let's be happy about something. Look, we we all know the death march we've been on for the last 12 years, but good Lord, let's, uh, let's, let's, so let's smell the flowers when they come through, you know, maybe we, we should offer uh, some thistle for every subscription to buff stampede. So you can, yeah, uh, right. cause we, we got some Eeyore's, uh, Eeyore's. Right. Here's a lemon with your subscription you know, here to make, <laughs> and no sugar. Here's some, you can go make some sour lemonade, but uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it's it. So, uh, we had dinner with uh, close friends on Friday, and the wife is a, a public school teacher at Kent Denver. And it's very interesting to me to hear about um, what they are doing in education these days in terms of, you know, Kent Denver had most of their kids show up on campus. And then when they when they, they did contact tracing, then they stayed home, that group stayed home, whatever, and they still work with them. So I don't it, it's not 100 percent clear to me how they did school at CU this past year because it seemed like it was changing they're on campus and they're off campus but you know at the end of the day they did their work and they got their grades you know you learn something you, you do what you're supposed to do and you get your grades i think you you give people credit for that and you don't look for reasons to undercut it 
spring ball is scheduled to begin near the end of March. And uh, I don't know, the way things are trending, you got to figure there's a pretty good chance they get it, get that in. There might be, you know, you might have to have a delay if there's an issue, but I don't know, maybe I'm being too optimistic that, that I'm starting to see some optimism on the horizon here. What, what are you thinking in terms of looking ahead to spring well, ball? Yeah. You know, so my family's all in medicine. So we're, we're following, you know, the wife and my older brother, younger sister, they've all got the vaccine already because they're frontline folks. And, um, I am fingers crossed a little skeptical about when spring ball or anything else will happen this year, but the, the, the COVID numbers nationwide seem to be going in the right direction. Could bounce the other way anytime as we've seen already through this pandemic, but you know, they've got two different vaccines out there. Um, they're trying to ratchet up, getting the more, more of them out there. Uh, I'll, I'll volunteer not to take the darn thing if, if they can give it to somebody up at CU and get this football team rolling. But uh, I think there's a reasonably good chance that we get a spring ball this year. I think it's better than 50-50 for sure. I'm not sure we'll see it at the end of March. We may have to push it back a month, a few weeks, whatever. But certainly it looks a lot more optimistic than it did in, in the second week of March last year. So yeah. fingers crossed. Uh, and I, and I also think that there's been a lot of progress around the country in terms of how to deal with this. You know, we just had a season where we made it work. The kids were there. We made it work pretty well, frankly, in, in Boulder, um, more so than a lot of teams. So I'm feeling pretty confident. I think we learned how to make this work and, and having a vaccine will can only make it better. So fingers crossed, I think we'll get it done. I'm not confident about the end of March timeframe, but I don't really care. Let's do it when we can do it. One guy that would not be out there during spring ball, obviously, is Nate Landon coming back from that torn Achilles. But Carl Durrell feels that he should be ready to, to start, you know, be ready for the start of fall. Uh, again, that's going to be where we're so far out. It's hard to say right. that definitively at this point, but he seems pretty optimistic, which is a good thing. Well, you know, and, and and let's let's put this on the table that that Carl Durrell, I'm sure, has had a face to face conversation um, with Eric McCarty and and the rest of that medical staff about what's exactly going on, and probably talked face to face with Nate Lamman about it. One thing I can tell you, you know, one of the hardest things about uh, coming back from an injury like this is rehab and the level of work you got to do at it. They ain't gonna have to have any trouble getting Nate Lamman to work. What they're gonna have to have trouble with is reining him back a little bit uh, at some point so that he doesn't hurt himself. So I don't have any questions whatsoever in terms of his work ethic to get this done. And I think we're very fortunate in having one of the foremost um, athletic medical departments and situations in the country uh, in both in terms of personnel and facilities to make that happen. So I'm very optimistic for him. Now, you know, will he come back at a hundred percent of his game in game one? Who knows? You know, will he get back to 100% of his game at any time in the season? Who knows? Um, But he's young and uh, that's going to help him out a lot. He's not an old fart like us trying to rehab something like that. So I, I, I am very optimistic. I don't, I'm not a doctor, so, you know, take my opinion for what it's worth. I don't expect him to be Nate Landman, if you know what I mean, in game one. 
Uh, as long as but, he's not put himself at risk of re-injury, because right. I think in 85% of Nate Landman's better than about 90% of the linebackers across the country. Right, exactly. And and not only that, but if he's in practice, he can help those other guys get better and he'll make the team better for having for for being there. Having him there is one thousand times better than not having him there, regardless of his condition. So I'm excited to have him back. I like that. We we got eighty five percent, ninety percent, a thousand percent. We're throwing all yeah, the well, out there <laughs> didn't we have didn't didn't we have a guy that was uh six hundred and six thousand percent uh committed during a yeah a- a- edgar amaya yeah <laughs> what was his six hundred sixty six percent no no six thousand six hundred percent well there you go man see we're it's it's the new math with all kind of new percentages <laughs> i'm, I'm the- ten thousand percent behind whatever it is i'm behind <laughs> One other piece of news here before we sign off, the Texas A&M game against the Buffs in 2021 will be played in Denver. We we had a feeling this was coming, but it was announced today. CU will still have six games at Folsom Field in 2021, which makes us a little bit more, I don't know, easier to stomach, especially when you understand the financial situation yep. that they can make more money with this game being in Denver. I get the finances of it. It's not a surprise to me. I mean, I I I – I, it's kind of surprised to me that it's news because I thought this was uh, already how it was going to be. But uh, I hate CU games in Denver. I hate CU games in that big pro stadium. But it is what it is financially. And we took a huge hit financially with the pandemic. So let's get the money and let's go down and everybody show up and root for the team and hope for a win. It is what it is. It's, it's certainly not something I'm going to whine about because what it, it it's that's the way it's got to be. I would not like to see us play in that stadium ever again, but I get the point of doing it for this particular game. And I think it's a better, I think it's a better situation to play in Denver against a really good team than against the little brother from up the road. Yeah. The atmosphere definitely lacked over, over time. And the other thing to throw in here too is, you know, had Colorado traveled down to College Station like they were scheduled to this past year, play there, then you'd like to see this game played in Boulder. You'd like to see a true home and home. But the fact that that game got canceled, I don't know how you can really gripe too much about it. Yeah, and maybe we make it make an event out of it. You know, and I, you know, I, get, I think playing Texas A and M, you can make a, a bigger event out of it than you can playing CSU because who cares about that? But um, so I don't know, make an event out of it, make it fun, make it exciting, get people in there, and. Uh, Let's move on. I mean, I know we're going to bicker about it because that's what we do. Not you and me, but uh, I don't like it, but nothing I can do about it. So let's move on. All right. Well, let's leave some stuff. Maybe we'll catch up next week. Again, a week from Wednesday is a regular signing period. Not going to be a, a ton of news that day, but uh, still a fun right. day. And we'll get a chance to hear from Carl Durrell that day as well. William, thanks for uh, joining me and uh, appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, we certainly appreciate you, my friend. You've kind of kept us going through all of this. And I know you were very creative in, in producing content for us during those lean months when nothing was happening. Um, I, I'd like to I'd like to play Jeopardy again. OK, I need right, a well, maybe maybe we'll get that uh, going again uh, post spring ball. But uh, again, appreciate you, William. And uh, if you're a, a fan of this podcast, make sure you subscribe and rate our podcast. Thanks for tuning in.